I can't tell you when I have been this excited about a guest. This is someone that uh, I so admire. I so want you to meet and, uh, and I want you to get her book, but gosh, you got to hear her story because she is, she's a journalist and she's also like me, a cop's wife. And uh, those two worlds came crashing down one day and uh, she's going to tell us all about that. Liz Collin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Betsy. I appreciate it. Been a big fan of your work for a long time. Thanks for fighting for the good guys. Thank you so much. And you know, we have such a special love, my husband and I, for uh, the police officers of Minnesota, especially Minneapolis. And uh, so let's let's talk about that. Um, you are, you know, you were, have been a journalist for over 20 years and you you were a mainstream investigative journalist, right? Tell people about your career. Yeah, so just a little background. I'm a Worthington, Minnesota native, kind of grew up in a, a smaller town in the southwest corner of the state and grew up watching uh, the CBS station, which was WCCO television, and all, always dreamed of being an anchor and a reporter, honestly, from the time I was a little kid. So the way the business works, you kind of move, uh, move up the ranks. And I spent time in uh, South Dakota, Kansas, uh, Pennsylvania, and finally landed my dream job uh, at WCCO television in 2008, uh, where I was the weekend anchor, kind of the primary fill-in anchor, and was an investigative reporter there for 12 years uh, when this incident happened, when you talk about these two worlds colliding, and they sure did uh, back in 2020. So how'd you end up marrying a cop? <laughs> That's a whole other show, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, I um, knew kind of of Bob, um, just being in the position that, that I was in as a reporter, but I did reporting um, on uh, police. Uh, so I didn't think it was perhaps a good idea when he called for, for a date, but then eventually uh, went into my boss before I even agreed to go on a date uh, with him just to say that, hey, I think I'm gonna go on this date with this guy, uh, the Lieutenant, um, who's the president of the Minneapolis uh, Police Federation at the time, and I, you know, kind of recused myself from Minneapolis PD stories at the time due to his position, which which made sense. And we had been married for a couple of years at this time, really with no complaint. Um, you know, I I always was fond of of law enforcement as far as respected their position. And even before I met met Bob, I did a Citizens Academy and I did a lot of reporting on police because I always felt that the media never treated these um, situations fairly, and I sort of knew how the media manipulation had been working behind the scenes for a while, but I'd never seen anything like it on this scale uh, when it came to the George Floyd incident. So fast forward to May of 2020, the infamous death of George Floyd, which you know changed life for Minneapolis PD, for the citizens of Minneapolis, but really for law enforcement nationwide here in the United States and frankly beyond. And uh, so talk about your involvement in that and, uh, and what you and your husband went through. So this was coming off of the Memorial Day weekend. Bob gets a call like he did uh, a lot uh, as union president. And we're kind of unpacking, putting things away, getting ready for the week. And it's um, Officer Thomas Lane at the time who talks about um, this, this person they had in custody. They were called to uh, respond to you know, this, this person uh, passing a counterfeit bill, um, something happens to him medically, they don't know much at that time, 
uh, just kind of giving Bob a heads up. Then he calls back a short time later and says, uh, you know, that unfortunately George Floyd, we'd eventually learn his name, uh, passed away at the hospital. Um, and Bob went in as he did for any in-custody death, um, but circumstances changed quickly. Um, it was middle of the night, essentially, when the chief asked Bob to come back in to where they were meeting and um, look at this Facebook video um, that had just been posted, which is the, the infamous uh, Facebook video we all know now. I, I basically am kept off the anchor desk, which in the beginning I understand because it's a pretty volatile situation with the riots start shortly after, et cetera. Um, but I'm demoted. I never go on to anchor another newscast at WCCO again. And I'm pulled off of basically all of my reporting assignments, whether it's uh, politics, public safety, um, I'm sidelined and, and I remain sidelined for nearly uh, two years So was before this, I finally left. Was this just a guilt by association because of who you were married to, your career path came to a screeching halt with your station, is that correct? Absolutely. And I think it was pretty clear in the in the beginning that the station where I worked chose to go along with the narrative as all mainstream media did. There's no context. There's no clarity. This is all about race. And they go ahead and, and peddle that narrative from the beginning. I had reporters that I worked with that were using the hashtag Black Lives Matter, not knowing really anything about the organization, but really pushing this racist narrative. Uh, when there was so much more to this story, this mixed race group of officers who, who showed up uh, for the call that nobody wanted to talk about. The fact that body camera video was, was being withheld, that's never happened before in a case. The autopsy being conducted, that's held for, for about a week before it was released. There was all these things sort of disappearing uh, from, from the public or being withheld. And as a reporter, this is where I'm going because I'm. This is where I think that the the story is, and people need to understand this. Uh, but but the media we saw, um, you know, really embrace this narrative, and we're all living the consequences, as you pointed out, Betsy, uh, because of that. So here you are. You 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 know you have access to the facts, and you are uh, not just a cop's wife, but you are an uh, an investigative journalist with integrity. And so you wanted to be able to talk about or wanted somebody to talk about the actual facts, because as we as we now know, although a lot of journalists still don't talk about it, a lot of media still doesn't talk about it, nor do activists, that the narrative that George Floyd was some innocent black man murdered by Derek Chauvin, uh, we know that not to be true. Um, and I don't want to relitigate this case, but just talk for a couple of minutes about some of the things about the George Floyd arrest, his crime that he committed, his drug dealer that was with him, uh, the counterfeit money that I think, you know, have just been really swept under the rug. George Floyd was not an innocent guy. Yeah, we saw the police um, department from the very beginning, Betsy, peddle these, these lies. They say in the beginning, they've never heard of George Floyd before. Uh, well, in fact, in the book, we talked to the officer who arrested him nearly a year earlier in May of 2019. Why did they arrest him? Well, because he was part of an undercover drug operation uh, selling uh, prescription pills, um, thousands of them. Uh, so we go into great detail talking to, to that officer. So they're lying about that. They're lying about the fact that they've never seen this MRT training. If you remember, they said, never seen it, never a part of training. We have no idea, you know, 
what's happening? Well, interestingly enough, which I knew early on too, this MRT, these pages of this training manual disappear um, online. And as a reporter, I'm like, why are we not asking questions? These are just good. They're gone. And this is a part of training. They're lying about that. Um, and, you know, nobody's interested in that story. Uh, just, just another uh, thing that, that was lied about from, from the very beginning. And, you know, the, the book, They're Lying, I, I feel like the title came to me very early on uh, because really from, you know, I wouldn't even say day one, but almost hour one, uh, the lies began to, to pile up and there was no turning back. So you guys, uh, we'll talk in a minute about why you decided to write the book, but, you know, so we have the riots going on, you know, all of the looting, the third precinct is burned down. You and I have a mutual friend. Uh, she was texting me that night, sending me pictures saying they're burning down my precinct. I, we had to all get our stuff out of there. I mean, it was extraordinary. I, I just, I, I just didn't even believe that it was real at first. And, um, so all of this is happening uh, you know, your husband has to deal with it on his end. And then on your end, you're just, you're just kind of sat down and, uh, and stopped from doing your job, but that's not all. What happened to you guys personally as a police family? So we saw the cancel culture vultures really come after us in full force, even though I wasn't reporting about this story that wasn't good enough for them. Um, I say, you know, this group of people, they don't want you canceled, they want you killed. <laughs> you know, with their threats that they were leaving on, on Twitter, uh, they were sending things to our mailbox, our son who was seven at the time, couldn't even get the mail for months because it was absolutely, you know, abhorrent what was arriving in the mail. Uh, we had a couple high profile protests. They found out where we lived, uh, including a Black Lives Matter, uh, both were sponsored by Black Lives Matter. One involved 150 people where they beat Bob and I and pinata effigies in our driveway. Um, and again, this is you know uh, something I bring up in the book about media manipulation. This is a this is actually a state rep candidate who who's beating my pinata um, in the driveway. And I call to the station and just say that I think this is newsworthy. The fact that this guy is doing this to a woman. I don't even care if it's me, uh, but we should probably put this on the news. Um, and I was told that that's show, you know, showing my bias and they were very against making Black Lives Matter look bad. They eventually did, but it took them about three days uh, to put 20 seconds on the news about, about that protest that received you know, national uh, attention. And you know, now, two and a half years later, we know that Black Lives Matter is a Marxist uh, organization, which they weren't hiding. They still don't really hide that. Um, and they're also a financial sham. There's just no other way to say it. And, uh, and they don't really do much for quote unquote black lives. And quite frankly, they didn't do much for the black citizens of the city of Minneapolis, did they? No, absolutely. In fact, uh, Candace Owens and her team from Daily Wire, they did this great documentary. They featured um, my, my story a bit, just uh, you know, the fact that I lost my job basically over this and how this cancel culture uh, works when it came to, to BLM, but just tracking the money. And I really applaud their team for, for doing that because the media quickly quickly moved on. Nobody from Minneapolis wanted to, wanted to touch that story. And this was really a ground zero for all of it to happen. And that's what I talk about in the book, that this became, it was it was kind of like Betsy, we had the perfect people in the perfect places for this to, to play out here. There's a, a lot of people that knew 
uh, that more was going on. And I've heard from so many of them and I'm, I'm grateful for, for all who have read the book uh, so far, but it was like, you couldn't counter this narrative or it's career suicide uh, in a way. Um, so I wanted to bring, you know, give these officers a voice. They're trapped in the third precinct. You know, this decimated the police department, that's no secret. Um, and I just felt it was time to, to put, you know, put the spotlight uh, on these stories. So when you and Bob sat down and said, you know, let's tell this story, let's write that book, you had left the station, right? And then um, where was he in his career? So he retired, um, he was eligible for, for retirement shortly after uh, this all happened. And <laughs> we saw hundreds that, that were eligible, you know, flee and many that were not eligible um, leave as well. And I think that's no secret why they would after you see you know what happened here and we have a lot of those officers uh, talking in the book about how they were really fed to the wolves by the police administration uh, by political leaders I feel like I use a lot of air quotes when I refer to these to these leaders uh, but they decided that you know that the entire police department and the police profession needed to be scapegoated uh, in a way because of this and I'm not sure whose uh, brilliant idea it was but um, I don't really think it's worked out so well well, obviously we have, you know, record uh, level homicides for, uh, you know, the third year in a row now. And, uh, and you know, and sadly, and I, I just read some statistics today about who's suffering most, young black men are, are the victims of 80% of the homicides that are happening. So sad that we sacrifice the lives of these young men frankly, for the death of a drug dealer and a counterfeiter, you know, and, and again, and I I'm talk not... about that in the book, Betsy, uh, at 38th and Chicago in Minneapolis, where this happened, there've been nine homicides at that intersection or right around there uh, since this in incident. Do you think the media ha has put out these uh, stories? Do, do, do people know their, their names? And, uh, you know, these are all African-American victims uh, that have been left left in the wake, including a woman who, who was pregnant, both both her and her unborn baby uh, died at that intersection and nobody talks about it. Right, and we've elevated George Floyd to this bizarre idol-like status. And, uh, and you know, I don't know how long that's going to take to go away. I've, I've been to Ferguson, Missouri to see the Michael Brown Memorial there, um, you know, who has a similar status. and. Every year, you know, the, the young man shot in Ferguson trying to disarm a police officer. And every year, politicians and activists come out with, this was the day Michael Brown was murdered. And of course, that's what happens with George Floyd. Liz, let me ask you, because you spent decades in the media, where, where does this go wrong with the media? When did, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm 63 years old. When I was a kid, you know, I was watching, we spent a lot of time watching the evening news and those were people that we trusted both the local reporters and then the national reporters how and when did it go so wrong yeah and i think with the with the police narrative uh, specifically um you know obviously uh, po police leaders they encourage uh, police body cameras it makes sense it's all about transparency but now we're seeing in a way um you know that these videos almost backfire because they sometimes can decide what they release publicly, hold, withhold things that they, they don't want publicly released. And, and police work, I think, doesn't look pretty. I mean, it's just, you know, you're meeting people and, you know, many times their darkest 
moments. And we don't have, as, as people who take in the news, uh, really sometimes you know, the background to fully understand uh, you know, what's happening frame by frame. And that's where I think the police department in this instance really failed, where they could help um, explain things, uh, perhaps to just offer more context uh, but instead, we saw this anti-police narrative, which was such a part of the left, and we're trying to oust President Trump at the time, basically at all costs. And I think that, you know, that played a huge role in the George Floyd in incident as well. But I also just as a, a mainstream reporter during COVID, I was troubled by the fact that we're also privy to so much information when it came to the pandemic that we're withholding. We're getting emails from people who say that, you know, their adverse reactions to, to the vaccine or are they trying this more holistic approach to treating COVID, but we don't wanna, we don't wanna put those stories uh, on TV. And I think these large media corporations have become uh, more woke, more controlled uh, by, by big tech. And you basically have to kind of fall in line and, and shut your mouth. But I became a reporter just to tell the truth as basic as that sounds, <laughs> but I don't think that's uh, really happening on a large, large scale anymore. And it was very troubling uh, for me to watch. You know, one of the things about the Minneapolis Police Department, and, and I've been in law enforcement since 1980, is they were looked to, especially from the 90s on, as one of the best trained, best educated police departments in this nation. And I, you know, as, as the wife of a, a, a Minneapolis police officer and, and someone who saw, you know, as a journalist, saw their inner workings, does it just make you sad that these cops get such a bad rap and not just by, um, you know, the media, but by their own leadership, um, including their mayor? Absolutely. Um, we've had, as you know, many progressive uh, mayors sort of in line. And we talk about in the, that in the book, too. This isn't just a one thing with George Floyd. We've had mayors in the past. They, they decide to go ahead and make this about race from the very start. Uh, of things. And they don't actually have enough information to even make that call. Mayor Fry uh, had a history of doing that long before uh, George Floyd. So we talk about that. Um, you know, and this, these are, you know, basically his employees, if you will, the mayor, which is why you saw so many leave in, in droves, uh, because it was clear uh, that, that he was fanning the flames of racism and basically serving them serving them all up. But I, I, I think Minneapolis lost the best of the best. I mean, obviously we have uh, very good friends uh, who were officers who are who are still officers uh, there, but the, the cops that are left are, are almost like a fire department, if you will. They're not really much of a police department anymore. There's not a lot of proactive policing when you have half the, half the staff you, you used to have and skyrocketing crime. Um, so it, it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking what's been allowed to happen. Absolutely. Listen, we have about two minutes left. So talk about what you guys are hoping to accomplish with the book and, uh, and talk about the, if you feel any hope um, for the Minneapolis Police Department and for American law enforcement and for truthful journalism. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, and I think that's why people need to care about this case, Betsy. This isn't necessarily a story of a cop's wife telling a story. It's about uh, justice in America. And, and, Justice is not, you know, mob justice is not justice. Um, and that's the point I, I try to make. That's why people, you know, should care and, and care about the, the truth. And really, this was just a way to set the record straight. Uh, I don't think we were really trying to do to do much else. But I, you know, just felt like I'm, I'm a journalist. This is, you know, what I'm good at. I keep notes. Um, so I wanted to put it all together. Um, to go ahead and craft that story. Um, the, bo the book is available on thelieexposed.com. 
It's on Amazon. We haven't been canceled yet, which is amazing about a month in. Uh, so, so we're grateful for that, but there are more than 250 sources. You know, we did a lot of research for this. Uh, this isn't just, uh, you know, my fairy tale that I, that I crafted. These are facts and they really should uh, trouble anyone, I think, who reads the book. I think the book is going to be huge. And I'm so glad that you guys were brave enough uh, to tell your story, that you were brave enough to tell your story after being, you know, doxxed and attacked and shoved out. Um, you know, you're really someone to be admired because you didn't just throw up your hands and and go, you know, be a housewife somewhere. You said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to write a wrong here. And uh, and I think that's why people should uh, buy the book, read the book and know the truth about the George Floyd case and all the behind the scenes things that that you talk about in the book. Liz, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so I'm just Liz Collin. I'm easy to find on, on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, L-I-Z-C-O-L-L-I-N. Liz, thanks for spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about us, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.